Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman shares a message titled, Marriage Makeover. Now, an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. Well, James Wallace and Andy Eckert build homes in Magnolia, a suburb north of Houston. But they do something a little bit unusual in the homes that they build. Uh, When they pour the foundation before the wet cement sets, they lay an open Bible face up into the foundation. They want every family that moves into one of their homes to know that their house is founded on the Word of God. Now, your house may not have the Word of God in its foundation, but you do need your home to be founded uh, on the Word of God. And, and so what I want us to do today is see what God's Word has to say to us about married life. We've been going through a study of the book of Colossians, verse by verse, and today we get to Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Let's take a look at this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, one of the tried and true tropes of uh, the romantic genre is the meet-cute story. If you like romantic comedy movies, or if you've read a Jane Austen novel, or if you look at anything on the Hallmark Channel, you're going to find the meet-cute story. This story usually involves the couple first meeting in some awkward or hostile way and in the most unlikely of beginnings, a romance develops. When it comes to the way that you relate to this passage of scripture, Colossians chapter three, is it going to be a meet cute story? For some of you who haven't read the word much before, you get to a passage like this, the first time you see it, you might react to it internally or even externally with some awkwardness or hostility. But that might just be the first act in a meet-cute story. And it may be that eventually you fall in love with this instruction on married life, just as so many of us have. These two verses in Colossians chapter 3 tell us that a Husband and a wife have different needs, different challenges, but the same example. Different needs, different challenges, but the same example. So that's our outline today. If you've got your sermon notes, open them up. And let's look at this first point about different needs. Recognize that your marriage partner has a fundamentally different need than you have. I read an offbeat news item from the Netherlands a few years ago. A Dutch woman named Jennifer Hoes got married to herself. According to Dutch and German newspaper reports, she wore a wedding gown, stood before the, uh, the civil registrar with her family as witnesses and promised to, quote, love, respect, and honor herself in good times and in bad. Now, if you want a successful marriage, the first thing you need to know is you did not marry yourself. You married somebody else with a different set of needs. And some of those needs are gender-based. I know that's difficult to say or difficult to hear in the culture we're in right now. But even those who aren't particularly religious recognize this. 
There was a bestseller out a few years ago. It was not a religious bestseller, but you probably remember the title, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And in what is probably the greatest compliment to a book, there were a number of spin-off books that played off of that title, such as the following. And all of these are real books that you can find in the bookstore. One book is called Men Are From Detroit, Women Are From Paris. One author wrote, men are from GM, women are from Ford. Another one has this title, women are from Venus, men are from hell. <laughs> I think I detect an anger problem there. A Christian author wrote this one, men are from Israel, women are from Moab. I think that she spent a lot of time in the book of Ruth in that, in that book. Another one is called, men are from locker rooms, women are from luxury boxes. And I think that one's about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, I think, I'm not sure. Here's another one, men are clams, women are crowbars, and one last one has the title, women are always right, men are never wrong. Now, the thing that those books all have in common is this, they recognize, even if they weren't written by particularly religious authors, that there are needs that are different between men and women. And so God has directed the wife to supply what her husband most needs from a woman. And God has directed the husband to give uh, uh, the wife what a woman most needs uh, from a man. Now I think it'll revolutionize how you react to Bible passages like this if you take that perspective. A lot of times we get to Bible passages like this and we, we ask ourselves, what am I being asked to do? And am I willing to do what I'm being asked to do? But if we looked at this passage first and foremost as something that instructs us, that gives us a, a glimpse into the great need that the other person has, that the marriage partner has, I think would revolutionize our understanding of this passage. You know, I loved what the professor and researcher Julie, uh, Judith Wallerstein said in one of her books, and she's hardly an evangelical Christian. She wasn't a Christian uh, in her life, and she was writing about the fears that young men and young women have as they think about love and marriage. And here's what she wrote. The young women are very afraid of being betrayed. The young men are afraid that when the young lady gets to know me, she won't love me. Now I wanna read that comment again and I want you to notice that whether she did it on purpose or not, she was distinguishing between the greatest fear of a man and the greatest fear of a woman. The young, men, the young women are very afraid of being betrayed. The young men are afraid that when the young lady gets to know me, she won't love me. So the researcher said first, the young women are very afraid of being betrayed. And God's word speaks to that. Husbands, love your wives. They're afraid of being betrayed by the most important person in their life. They're afraid of being let down as other men have let them down. Allay that fear. Love your wives. Stand and stick and stay. And then what does Wallerstein say about the guys? She wrote, the young men are afraid that when the young lady gets to know me, she won't love me. So God's word speaks to that. Wives, your husbands are afraid that when you find out who they really are, that you're not gonna like them anymore. You're not gonna respect them anymore. And so respect your husband, support your husband, build up your husband, because that's his greatest fear. So when you get married, you see, you did not marry yourself. You marry somebody who's, in some ways fundamentally different than you. And if you assume that your partner has the same need that you have and you go about working hard to try to meet that need in that person that you have in yourself, you're going to get frustrated because you'll never feel like you are appreciated for all the efforts that you do. But you're trying to meet a need in somebody else that's really in you. 
and you're not identifying or recognizing that need that that person has. But now, fulfilling different needs requires different challenges. And so that's another thing that I recognize from this passage of Scripture. Write this down on your notes. Different challenges. God's Word always nudges us to go beyond our own nature. You know, one of the things that makes marriage difficult is, uh, it is that meeting our partner's greatest need is something we're not often sensitive to. Or we know what our partner's greatest need is. We've read a marriage book or two. We've gone to a conference. We know what our marriage partner's greatest need is. We're just not willing to fulfill it. It reminds me of the senior adult couple. The man had several symptoms, and so both husband and wife went to the doctor, and the doctor ran a battery of tests, and when he got back with the test results, he, he asked to see the wife separately for a moment, and he said, I'm afraid I've got some bad news. Your husband has a fatal illness. She said, oh my goodness. He said, no, but there's good news. You'll be able to prolong his life significantly if you do some things. And she said, what should I do? He said, well, one thing, your husband is very susceptible to allergens. You need to make sure you're keeping a particularly clean house. You need to get up every morning and make him a very nutritious breakfast every day. He needs to keep his joy up. And so, you know, anytime he makes a romantic gesture, say yes to him. And she went into the place where her husband was and the husband said, what did the doctor say? She said, you're going to die. <laughs> the reality is that sometimes we know exactly what we're supposed to do for the other person, but we're not willing to do it. That's why scripture gives a challenge to the wife, which is different than the challenge that is given to the husband. I want you to think about this. A command is always given for behavior that needs to be done. It's not always done, but it needs to be done. You don't issue a command if somebody is always, everywhere, doing that thing. So we have city ordinances and rules for double parking and littering. Last I checked, even as odd as Austin is, we don't have a city ordinance against walking on the sidewalk on your hands. That's because we don't need that. It's just not something that needs to be addressed, right? Now, if that's the case, then what does this passage say to us as husbands and wives about our great challenge. It, it lets us know that the Bible is telling a wife to do something, the Bible is telling a husband to do something that does not come naturally to either one of us. And we don't always appreciate this. We always assume that the command that the scripture is giving to another person is always easier than the command that is given to us. In a previous church, I, I gave my secretary the outline for a sermon on this very passage, Colossians chapter 3, and she looked at the notes and said, oh, the S word. And I quickly grabbed my notes back from her thinking I'd made an embarrassing typo. I looked all over the place. There were no typos. I said, what do you mean? She said, yeah, the S word, submit. All my husband has to do is love me. <laughs> now, she, she misunderstood exactly what was being commanded of her husband if uh, she thought that that was going to be easy for him. We'll see that in a moment. But even more than that, her reaction illustrated that we always assume that the command that is given to another person is easier to fulfill than the command that is given to us. So let's understand what these, these commands mean. First of all, let's look at this. God wants a wife to supply the affirmation that her husband most needs. Paul wrote, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now that word sounds so, so harsh to our ears today that some modern English translations have come up with other words to translate that word there. And so in the Phillips translation, it is wives, adapt yourself to your husbands. In the NIRV, the New International Reader's Version, which is written for an eighth grade reading level, 
It goes, wives, follow the lead of your husbands. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 33 says, the wife must respect her husband. So adapt yourself, follow the lead of, respect. Regardless of the way you translate it, it all means the same thing. It means to recognize the responsibility that your husband is trying imperfectly to live up to. And in what you say to him and what you say about him, and the attitude you maintain in your own heart, you are respecting whatever efforts you see at him trying to be a good church participant, trying to be a good husband, trying to be a good dad, trying to be a good lover, trying to be a good provider. You're recognizing the efforts he's making and you are respecting those things. But then the scripture turns our attention to husbands. If the primary calling of a wife is to supply the affirmation that a man most needs, the command of a husband is to supply the appreciation that a woman most needs. Verse 19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now understand the word love. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19 is not saying, Husbands, have warm feelings for your wife. It's not saying, Husbands, don't forget Valentine's Day. Make sure you, you're, romantically, you're, you're, you're appropriately romantic with your wife. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with those things. The Bible actually tells us that we should be mindful of those things as well. But anytime you see in the Bible a command to love, it is almost always a command to love sacrificially and unconditionally. And that is a tall, tall order. In our culture, where family often is sacrificed for career, in our culture, where a trophy wife is regarded as the height of a status symbol, this passage tells husbands, do what does not naturally come to you. Stand and stick and stay. Love unconditionally and sacrificially. A few years ago, Sheryl Crow asked in a song, try and love me if you can. Are you strong enough to be my man? I think there are a number of women who are asking that very question themselves to themselves of their husbands they're asking are you strong enough to be my man are you going to stand and stick and stay or are you going to leave me like the husband of my best friend left me are you going to leave me like other men have left me in my life are you strong enough to be my man are you strong enough to stand and stick and stay when things get difficult when I get difficult are you strong enough for that so husbands and wives we have different needs and therefore, husbands and wives have different challenges to rise to the occasion and meet those different needs. But even though we have different needs and different challenges, here's the good news. We have the same example to follow. There's a third thing I want you to note. The same example, very simply, be Jesus for each other. A husband and a wife have different needs. They have different challenges. But we just simply need to be Jesus for each other. When Paul wrote, husbands, love your wives, he was saying, be Jesus for your wife. As I already mentioned in the biblical context, love is always understood as unconditional and as sacrificial. What better person in the pages of the Bible, what better person in the pages of history was ever as unconditional and sacrificial with his love as Jesus himself? Now, this concept comes out even more clearly in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The letters to the Ephesians and the Colossians are very similar letters. 
Colossians has four chapters, Ephesians has six chapters, but it follows pretty much the same order. It starts off with the first half of the book, dealing with theology, dealing with, with what you should believe, and then halfway through the book it says, therefore, and then you get into the way you ought to behave because this theology is true. This is the same way uh, that you read in Ephesians as you read in Colossians. And just as the letter to the Colossians, when you get to the instructions for living in the letter to the Ephesians, we have the same instruction for husbands and wives. But in Ephesians, Paul lays it out with a little more elaboration. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, he said, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, to say that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, we're not being told two separate things that Christ did. We are being told in what manner Christ loved the church. We are being told the definition of his love for the church. Christ loved the church. Here's what it looks like. He gave himself up for her. And, and so we are being instructed, we are being told in, in, in Ephesians that we husbands should love our wives in the same way, sacrificially, unconditionally, just as Christ did for us. And so Paul says, husbands, love your wives. He was saying, be Jesus for each other. But when Paul said, wives, respect your husbands, was he also saying, be Jesus for each other? Absolutely. You know, the Greek word in Colossians chapter 3 to speak of a woman's relationship to her husband is hupotasso, hupotasso. And it is the exact same Greek word that shows up in 1 Corinthians 15. But in Colossians chapter 3, the word is used to speak of a wife's relationship to her husband. In 1 Corinthians 15, it is used to speak of the eternal son's relationship to the eternal father. So in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25, we read, For he, that is Jesus, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And when he has done this, then the Son himself will be hupotasa, will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. In the mystery of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equal. They're of equal worth. And yet... The eternal Father issued this commission and the eternal Son submitted himself, he subjected himself to that eternal commission of the Father to come and save the human race by dying on the cross for us. Every Sunday, we get together and we celebrate Jesus for this very thing. Every Sunday, we get together and sing songs about Jesus submitting himself, accepting this sacrificial service for us. If it's good enough for us to celebrate Jesus doing it for us, isn't it good enough for us to do that with each other in a marriage relationship? So whether you're a husband or a wife, the Bible says you need to be Jesus for each other. And of course, I am reminded of a mother who was preparing pancakes for her little sons, and the, the, the two boys were arguing over who was going to get the first pancake. And the mother found this to be a perfect teaching opportunity. And she said, you know, if Jesus were here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. And one boy turned to the other and said, you be Jesus. <laughs> Some of us in our marriage relationship, aren't we tempted sometimes to say, you know, I'm tired of being Jesus in this relationship. You be Jesus for a while. But the reality is that throughout our life, whatever we're facing, whatever experiences we're going through, the simple command in Colossians chapter 3 
is for us to be Jesus for each other and we'll always get it right. Let me close with this beautiful story by a woman named Jody Dietrich. She wrote it for Focus on the Family magazine. She wrote, I just put the tea kettle on and was relaxing while watching a Boston Pops concert on the public TV channel. Jana, our 11-year-old avid, avid music lover daughter, sat in the big blue chair nearby, and my husband, Don, lounged in a recliner across the room with a book in his hand, as always. Anne Murray was the guest soloist with the orchestra, and I reminisced as she sang songs popular in my youth. When one pretty love ballad came on, Can I Have This Dance for the Rest of My Life?, my eyes met Don's, and we smiled at each other. The song had been a favorite of ours in past years. Spontaneously, I rose from the couch, and with a grand bow, I said, Would you care to dance, sir? And with a gleam in his eye, he played along and came to me in the middle of the living room. The funny thing is that neither of us had really danced. It was never part of our courtship. And we giggled as we tried to assume a waltzing position and swayed to the music. I began to laugh as we stepped into a pattern that would cause Fred Astaire to roll over in his grave. Gracefully, of course. Jana watched quietly from her chair as we continued our clumsy dance. And then, with no invitation from the conductor, the tea kettle brashly added its off-key whistle to the music, signaling an abrupt end to our fun. Breathlessly, I turned away from Don to rescue the tea kettle. No, stay. Immediately, Jana was up off her chair, scuttling into the kitchen. Her arm went up like a traffic cop, halting an oncoming truck. And so we swayed and stumbled our way through the rest of the song. I understood what she meant. No, stay was a plea to us. It meant please stay in love, stay committed to each other and to our home, keep laughing together, stay partners. Even when you step on each other's toes in the crazy dance of marriage, it meant don't let the busyness of your lives, the whistling of other tea kettles, make you too preoccupied to hear the music of your young love. Keep lighting up when you look into each other's eyes across the room, just stay. This is what we find, amen. This is what we find in Colossians chapter 3, instructions to stay and instructions for how to stay. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that it is as easy and yet as challenging to just simply be Jesus for each other and things will eventually work out. We pray then that you would be with those who are married in this gathering and those listening online, that you would grant to us the commitment to stay and the commitment to do what this passage of Scripture tells us to do that can make staying possible. And for those in this room who are perhaps looking for a marriage partner, wondering if that is sort of in the cards for them, we pray that you would grant to them the wisdom to know when they have found the one to, to whom, with whom they can fulfill this passage of Scripture and that you will enable them then to be Jesus for each other as they get into married life together. Supremely, Lord, we thank you, whether we are married, single, divorced, widowed, we thank you that this passage, like every other passage in the Bible, ultimately leads us to Jesus. 
As important as our marriages are, our relationship with you, God, is more important than any other relationship on this earth, including our marriage relationship. Thank you then for Jesus, who loves us unconditionally and sacrificed himself completely to meet our greatest need. We commit ourselves then to this kind of Jesus. Give ourselves over loyally to him and ask, Lord, that you would show us more about Jesus and more about how to follow Jesus all the days of our life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as guest pastor, Dr. Bruce Murray, shares a message titled, No Fear. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.